Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Today's conversation is with a very special lady. Her name is Rachel Pope. She is the author of Gifts from Grief. And boy, has she experienced some grief and loss in her time. And I guess that's the one thing that I realise we all have in common, right? Whether we've experienced loss recently, we are going to experience loss and grieve in our lifetime. So this is a super important conversation that I'm so pleased I'm able to bring to the show. So grab a cuppa and enjoy. All right, so welcome to the show, Rachel Pope. Hi, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. Such a pleasure and an honour to be on your show. Oh, I'm so, so happy, so excited that you're here. So Rachel and I met in Jana Kingsford's Mastermind, Figure Six. Um, I think we joined around the same time, actually, so six months ago-ish now. Yeah, probably I'll... a little bit less. Yeah, yeah how time I've flies. I've Jana for many, many years. You yeah, have, right? Such a I wonderful community. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. So Rachel is an author and grief specialist, and I'm going to hand over for her to introduce herself and tell us, a bit about her amazing story and how she's come about doing what she does today. So over to you, Rachel. Thanks, Emma. Yes, yeah, so I wrote a book in 2019 called Gifts from Grief. And uh, that was as a result of um, experiencing, you know, lots of compounded loss in my life. At 17, I lost my dad to cancer and it was a very short diagnosis of six weeks I was studying to be a pilot at that stage had just finished high school and you know at that age 17 you've got the whole world at your feet you're starting out um, and of course that just threw our whole life into turmoil and upside down um, just devastating because it happened so quick and he was only 47 when he passed away at home Um, and I threw myself into my flying and, you know, all my friends were so supportive and such a supportive family, but quickly noticed that there, you know, a lot of people didn't know what to say or what to do, especially at that age, you're not equipped to deal with grief like that. I didn't know many people. It was probably my first funeral that I'd ever been to. Um, and so I just threw myself into uni and flying and partying on the weekends like you do at that age. Um, and fast track eight years later, I lost my eldest brother in a car accident in 2000. And my brother Brett was a very special man. He grew up um, most of his life in a wheelchair. He was a paraplegic. And uh, being the eldest um, brother as well, and being such a connector and such an amazing human being, um, the the tragic loss of of you know, finding out that he had died in a car accident with police knocking at the door um, was, again, just another upheaval for our family. Um, I had met my husband at that stage, and so he was very supportive. But what I found then was it it brought up a lot of grief from my dad that I I was 25, and I realised that I hadn't really processed that as well. Mm. Um, And together as a family, we were were just grieving all over again. that was a big turning point for me when my brother died because I sort of had a new perspective on life and um, I actually quit my flying and um, we moved 
um, up to the Sunshine Coast where, where I live now and started a family, got married and started a family. And I started looking for a new career and I discovered early learning and childhood when I had my, my daughter um, and discovered a Jimbaroo franchise that I just thought, wow, this is, this is something for me. I love kids and I, and I wanted to learn all about neurological development. And so, um, yeah, I, I started teaching and studying with them and then we decided to buy the franchise as a business for myself. Uh, when the kids had started school um, and my second, uh, my son had started kindy and so we had some more time. And so we decided, yep, this will be a great career for me and I'll buy a business and run it. Two weeks after we signed that contract um, for the franchise for the whole of the Sunshine Coast, my husband was diagnosed with the same cancer as my dad. And so you can imagine for me, um, him having such a short, my dad, that was six weeks. I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to die in six weeks time because that was mm. my previous experience. And um, we did get longer. We had 16 to 18 months of treatment and all the things that go with a cancer diagnosis. And um, we were fortunate enough to have him home. So he spent a lot of time with the kids were. Uh, four and six when he passed away in 2012. So that period of um, time of treatment and home and just staying positive all the way through to the end, you know, not ever imagining that that would happen. But for me, when it did, it was a full circle moment of, you know, bringing up that grief of my dad because he was the same age and it was the same cancer. Wow. So once again, I was thrown into this, you know, turmoil of, what is grief all about? Why am I having all these flashbacks to my brother and um, to my dad, which was 20 years ago, um, and realising that I've ne not really dealt with this at all? Mm. And how do I, you know, even though I had all the support and people around me having become a young widow at 38, there was still so much more to it. So I started researching and, and going looking for books and things and, and what I found was well especially here in Australia that a lot of uh, the books out there were very clinical and the five stages of grief and all this kind of thing and I've always been a grateful person and I've always um, you know had that outlook of life I guess because of growing up with my brother and experiencing loss young loss changes you and death changes you and you you do have a different perspective on life and a lot of people aren't gifted that until much later because it's not until you've sat front row at a funeral that you realize what that's about it's like mm. becoming a mother for the first time you really don't know what it's like until you until you're there right there's no manual yeah and so that's when I started journaling I started writing and I and I started a community called gifts from grief on Instagram and um, Facebook and what I found was this just this whole world of people that could relate to what I was saying and um that didn't feel acknowledged in their grief, that they felt they had to brush things under the carpet, that nobody wanted to talk about it a year later. Um, and isolation is, you know, just one of the biggest things for someone who's grieving is that they feel people don't know what to say and what to do. Mm. So once that community got rolling and um, just, you know, exploded, I, um, I just had the encouragement from everyone around me to say, you really need to get this into a book and, and you can really help people and, so that's how the book was born. And then wow. since then, I've, I've done further studies um, to become a grief recovery specialist and guide people through 
that all that unresolved grief and, and what I had experienced, I have the lived experience plus the study to deliver, you know, um, a course that can guide people through to wholehearted living beyond loss. Wow. So, yeah. Wow, what a story. And you say, you know, I can only imagine what that was like to go through because I guess I'm I'm fortunate enough to have only lost through death my grandparents in my lifetime you know we're all getting older so I do worry about my dad for example who has some ill health but I'm kind of fortunate in that sense but like you say it's not until you go through it that you actually experience it and then can work out like who you are and how you deal with that kind of thing but it's this it one thing that struck me was it is on when you're on the when you're someone that is approaching someone that is going through that grief, it is knowing what to say. I mean, I am, I am an empath, so I feel people's pain, right? And I almost want to take it from them, but you can't because you just can't. So let's start there, maybe. Like in terms of someone, if someone's listening and they know someone that's going through that kind of grief cycle now, like it's very real, especially with COVID, right? There might be some people that are experiencing loss out of COVID. Like how does someone deal with someone that is going through grief? Yeah, I guess the first bit of that, and I, and that's the most common message I get in my inbox every day is this such and such, such and such has happened to my friend. How do I help? Do I give them your book? Do I, and I, and I have to find out where they're at. Is it recent? Is it, you know, um, and what kind of loss it is and the biggest thing is acknowledgement and not pretending that it hasn't happened and mm. for grievers there can be a lot of support and a lot of people around in those first couple of months and then everybody disappears and goes back to normal life um, and so it's in the you know that six months and the year after that people need to check in and and to just say I, I say to people when they don't know what to say, that's the best thing is to say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. Mm. Um, and it's acknowledging that they are going through something and, and it's acknowledging that you do not know how they feel because it's when the platitudes come then that is hurtful and not helpful as, you know, we're taught to say or compare our losses or, you know, to say, oh, I remember when I lost my grandma to someone who's just lost a child and mm. you can't compare loss because it robs that person of dignity of, of that their loss being individual. And so acknowledgement is the key. So checking in and just saying, hey, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help, but I'm, I just want you to know that I'm thinking of you and I'm here for you. Um, of course, in the very, very initial stages of grief and loss, when it comes to death it, or, you know, divorce or something like that, it's, it's about showing up. It's, you know, it's food and it's practical things and babysitting and taking them out just for a haircut or just whatever you're good at, you know, just provide that in support as a friend. Um, but it's beyond that, that people need acknowledgement. So a year down the track or anniversaries, holidays, Christmas, birthdays, they're all hard, hard anniversaries. Um, and it's just sending that person a message on that day and say, hey, I'm thinking of you. I know this is a hard day for you on Father's Day or Mother's Day, things like that. So acknowledging it is just letting them know that they're not alone mm. and that you're there for them. So, yeah, which is, yeah. I, I guess, is like a natural instinct for most people that are caring. And it's someone that they care about that's going through it. But we're just it's like not it's been it's feeling in that really 
unknown space of knowing what to say or what to do so I think Mm -hmm. that's super important to not avoid yeah it is and it's because we don't know what to say or we're not taught that we don't say anything at all and even the you know the most empath or compassionate people can fall into that trap of well I don't want to say anything because I don't want to upset them Mm. well the thing is they're already upset you're not going to upset them anymore they're already sad they're already grieving so just by saying hey I'm just I'm, I'm thinking of you I don't know what to say I don't I can't imagine what you're feeling um, they're the right words rather mm. than you know saying at least they were young or you know we we get all the platitudes of for me it was at least you're young you can remarry um, at least the kids are young they won't remember him all of these things you know when I work um, with people clients who have experienced multiple pregnancy loss or um, infant loss and it's well at least you can try again um so all those things are logical and um true but they're not helpful and grief is emotional not logical most people are suffering from a broken heart not a broken head and so we need to be a heart with ears we need to just listen and we need to not try and fix people because they don't need to be fixed they just need to be held or just listened to and that's often all that they need is just to be acknowledged do you think there's like stigma like involved in, especially when it's something like an infant loss or a miscarriage or something like that? It's like as a society, we're just we're just very, I don't know, is it prudish or is it or is it just that we don't know what to say? Like what's... Yeah, I think a bit of both. There's um there's a generation where people there's a, an older generation who still consider a stillbirth as a miscarry you know, um, where their their children in their era were just whipped away from them. They weren't even, you didn't even see them. They weren't oh, even allowed yeah, to hold yeah. them. So um, it's a societal thing and we're slowly learning and we're slowly, you know, honouring that. And that's why I'm so passionate about lifting mm. a lid on these conversations because, you know, people say, well, I can't put a photo of my infant baby that has passed in my house because nobody wants to see, you know, that photo. Um but there are cultures who have whole shrines and and dedicated spaces in their home for loved ones who have passed and so it's about acceptance of that and and saying that that's okay and we can move forward in life like I have photos of my husband because they're my children's father and I will never not have photos of him in our house you know and it's not like we need to wipe that away so that we can be happy again or we need to brush that, you know, we can't move. It's, it's like people think that, that's an, that you haven't gotten over it. But people aren't replaceable and um, it doesn't affect my capacity for happiness. Again, it's mm. just honouring. I always say, you know, we honour, we remember and then we live. We don't forget to live because that's what we're here for. That's why we're still standing and then we repeat that. So it's okay to honour them. It's okay to remember them, but we need to live as well. And that's where the, you know, recovery comes in for people who are feeling like they're stuck in their grief and and not able. When it's affecting your capacity for happiness, then there's unresolved things there that, you know, without action, they'll they'll stay that way. Mm. Mm. And I guess having two young children yourself going through it without the tools that you now know, like you just got through it in the best way that you could, right? Is like 
how do you cope with it for yourself and give your kids the best chance of dealing with a grief like that yeah well I was the um, total textbook case of be strong for your kids and that's Mm. you know one of the myths of grief that we model from you know it might be the way our parents dealt with loss and grief or it's just something that we subconsciously do or we're told by society you've got to be strong for your kids now Um, but the truth is we can be strong or we can be human and we don't need to wear that be strong mask because um, three years after when I was running a business and, and having a four and six year old, as well as having lots of support for my family, um, I fell in a heap. You know, it didn't take that long for me to just fall in a heap because I could no longer be strong. And when I talk about be strong, it's like the isolation again. It's, you know, crying in the shower after the kids had gone to bed. Um, putting on this mask for them that everything's going to be okay because we don't want to hurt them by seeing us being sad or we don't want them to feel you know insecure in there but all of those things of you know through my growth and through my writing and through my studies that I've realized that that's actually not the way we should model for our kids we actually need to show emotion and we need to um, model that it's okay to talk about that and have those little releases throughout the day so that now my kids are teenagers um, so that they can get to a space where they feel okay to come and speak their emotions to me too because mm-hmm. if I'd left it that way they'd be like well she's strong she could, she doesn't talk about it so I need to be strong and I can't talk about it and that's not healthy mm. so yeah how this did is- I cope in the beginning it was just survival mode I was just yeah. surviving I was just being strong. I was putting on the mask, I was showing up to work, I was running a business, doing all the things behind closed doors. I was a mess on the carpet. So um, that's when I, you know, the lightning bolt moment was I'm, I need to do something here. I can't just be in survival mode. I need to be something else for my kids. I need to be something else for myself. And I need to thrive, not just survive. So yeah, the be strong mask came off and, um, you know, there's a few other myths around that that people could relate to. There's the keep busy one, you know, we've got to keep busy. Um, that's just another masking of just, just keep busy and everything will be okay. If we throw our kids into frenetic keep busy activity too, it's not helpful for them either, especially if one of those children are not busy by nature. You know, that's just a sense mm. of overwhelm if we throw them in all these activities just to make it, ignore what's really happened or what's going on um the other one is um grieve alone so you know we're taught to not cry in public and to go and go into your room and and sort yourself out before you come out to everyone and don't be sad don't feel bad and definitely don't be sad in public so there's all these myths that we're taught through society of how to process loss um that are misinformation Mm. you know they're not they're not healthy for us to just deal with our emotions and 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 the moving forward we're all moving forward but we can't do that unless we have these little awarenesses and and releases around our emotions which is grief Mm. Mm. and it's interesting because a lot of what you said there in terms like how we deal with or the myth of how we should deal with grief is typical in society today and like many of the women that come to me don't know how to be with their emotions like it's Mm -hmm. and they may not have experienced loss so that's 
it's already there right and then you have something like loss on top of that and it's just compounded and when we were talking before you actually mentioned about loss doesn't have to be through death and Mm. I so resonate with this myself and this is what I think I have experienced personally is for example like relationships you know my very first relationship was my first love and that didn't end well and that that left an imprint on me because I probably didn't deal with it in the way that I might know to deal with it now the tools I have but also more recently in my 30s I've you know had a pretty not a nasty but a a full-on breakup with a with a best friend a best friend of 20 years and I would I realize now I recognize in hindsight I was grieving that was a loss so how do you how do you talk about that when it's not due to like Mm. a death or something like that yeah, it's so true. And with, with you know, the pandemic at the moment, it's, it's mm. you know, grief truly by definition and the way the grief recovery program describes it is, is the normal and natural reaction to any change of familiar pattern or behaviour. So when we look at that statement of any change of familiar pattern or behaviour, that could just be the routine of, you know, meeting with a friend every week and now you no longer can do that where you are or getting your hair cut or going to the gym or seeing your extended family. Um, When that all changes for a child, it could be moving schools a number of times. And, you know, one of the other myths is um, replace the loss. And so when you mentioned breakups and things, you know, as teenagers, we're told, oh, um, don't worry, there's plenty of plenty of fish in the sea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like replace. So it's all good. Don't be sad. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Or um, you, you're a kid moving school. It's it's okay. You'll meet new friends. You know, and again, that's all true and logical, but it's not acknowledging the loss and the grief that they're feeling about the loss of their old friends. And we tell them to keep busy and just give it some time. That's the sixth one is time heals all wounds, um, which is not true. Time just passes. It doesn't heal anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, um, you know, we don't break an arm and just pull up a chair and say, I'll just give it some time to heal. We need to take some action and do some things around the healing process and, and get some support and, you know, um, do some things to help that arm heal or a busted tire we need to fix it so um yeah time heals all wounds is another thing that we're told just don't worry just give it some time and the danger in that is you know two three four five years down the track no matter what time it is if you're still feeling that same way then you start to think there's something wrong with you because you were told you know just wait till the first anniversary once you get over the first year or you know in a few years you'll be you'll be okay and then you have people telling you um aren't you over it yet it's been 10 years or for some a grieving mother who's lost a child it's 20 years they're not it hasn't changed for them and they're still grieving that loss every day um so yeah those myths that we're told around what we should be doing is is our story that we tell ourselves of how we actually deal with it and that and that's not the best way there is another Mm. way (laughs) Yeah, another myth I've heard you talking about is the this um, five stages of grief cycle that is kind of mm. out there. And I mean, I I I can remember seeing it. It's something around mm, denial and anger and that. And that's Except a myth. 
Well, the actual um, five stages were, it was a um, paper written for someone in a terminal diagnosis. So um, the doctor or who, who wrote the paper was, you know, the stages of someone going through a terminal diagnosis. Okay. So they were told that they had an end date that, or, you know, a relative uh, end date. And that was that process of denial about that happening and acceptance and yeah. yeah, all of those things and anger. And then what happened after this paper was published that it, it just got misstrued and thrown out into all circles of psychology and um, grief and counseling as the five stages of grief for anyone grieving. So it's not actually written for just the grief process of someone passing it was actually written for somebody who themselves were going through a terminal diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So it's widely used. And so as a griever, when I first read that and I was studying that and I came across the five stage and I was like, well, what stage am I in? Am I in that? And, that? and oh, I'm in here. Well, I'm not looking forward to that stage coming up, you know, because it's written like there's this linear mm. timeline that we're yeah. on this train that goes through all those. And anybody who has, you know, um, dealt with grief or is grieving knows that there's no no rhyme or reason that it can be this one day and that the next and it comes and goes and waves and there's no linear timeline for those stages. We feel all of those stages in one day sometimes. Um, mm. Otherwise, we may not feel it at all. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Everyone grieves in their own way and individually. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting discovery for me to read about that because I had actually, you know, gone to therapy and had been told about those stages and, you know, and, and, and been given some hope about, well, when I get through the final stage, then all will be okay. Mm. But, you know, fast realised that that's, that wasn't happening for me. <laughs> mm. I'm glad you shared that because that's probably a very important thing for us as coaches and healers and therapists mm. to also understand, right, when we're helping people through that. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. Um, another thing you would you sort of touched on it, but um, one of the big things that you deal with, right, is this unresolved grief. So it may not be a recent loss or anything that you're aware of that equates to a loss, but there is this unresolved grief inside. Like, how do people like go, oh, that's me. Like, I have unresolved grief. How do they get to that point that they realize that that might be something they need to seek help for? Hmm. Well, unresolved grief is everywhere and it's almost always about wishing we had said or done something differently Mm. or wishing somebody else had said or done something differently. So it's about a relationship with something or someone. It could be a job. It it doesn't have to be tangible with a loss like um, with death and divorce. It could be um, an ongoing relationship with a parent or um, a relationship with a, a work environment where you see this constant um, repatterning for yourself of, you know, in, in work. And usually for most cases when people come to me with the most recent loss and, and they want support and grief support, what they always end up working on is something from before it's something from Mm. childhood or it's something that we've carried our whole lives it's a it's a feeling it's this thing that we try and replace with other behaviors and we try to push it down and it's just something that we haven't 
um, you know, processed and emotionally said, had some completion around. And when I say having completion around it, it's about forming a new relationship for yourself with that person or that situation or that loss from the past where you can draw a line in the sand and say, well, I'm, I'm going to let go of the pain um, of that loss and I'm going to do some things about it. And there's, there's a, quite an extensive process to get to that stage over seven weeks, but um, you get to resolve all the unmet hopes and dreams. You get to resolve things that you wish you had said or done. Um, and there are a lot of recovery components in there that aren't used in any other practices or therapies that I have come across in my life. And, and trust me, I've done them all in the 25 years of since losing my dad, I've, you know, tried everything and, um, and they all have their place and I'm not, you know, disrespecting any um, practices and therapies that are out there, but you just, you know, you keep trying and searching for something that makes mm. you feel lighter. And it wasn't until I had gone through the grief recovery method and the process involved in that, that I actually felt I was doing something for myself and it was quite empowering. And I felt like I was taking action and I could form new relationships with those memories of my losses. So yeah, unresolved grief, back to your initial question is for someone to get to a stage where they're constantly, there's pain attached to something. There's pain attached that they can't let go of and it's usually you know within a relationship or something somebody who has passed that they wish they had said or done something different or it's an ongoing relationship where they just feel they're constantly stifling down the communication and they want to be heard and they want to get that out um, and that's not directly to that person it's something you do for yourself so that you can form a new relationship and an emotional com emotionally complete relationship for yourself yeah, and because when, when it affects your capacity for happiness, then that's when it's unresolved grief. You know, if, it, if, it, if it's affecting your relationships, if it's affecting your work, if it's affecting your health and your body um, with, you know, grief manifests itself in the body too. And I think we're mm. going to touch on that as well. So if that's a recurring thing for you, that's where there's unresolved grief. Yeah, so let's go there in terms of like the physical manifestation, right, in the body, because I know for me, my holding on to weight, excess weight, is probably largely protective through some events through life. And mm -hmm. therefore, it's, it's less, I mean, obviously, what you eat, how you move is going to be a big part of releasing some of that weight. But energetically and kind of more on a deeper level there's this stuff we're literally holding on to weight which could literally be holding on to something or someone or something like how do you how do you describe what's going on when something like weight or health comes into into play yeah well firstly we all participate in short-term energy releasing behaviors or stirbs I like to call them and that's where our go-to to make us feel better short term and that's why they're called short term and it's an energy release so that we don't have to express what we're really feeling in our emotions so it's in, in other terms it's pushing something under the carpet push, or pushing that down your throat so you don't have to deal with it with or chocolate. feel it or <laughs> say it chocolate um so the list is very long there's mm. you know alcohol abuse it could be excessive shopping um online shopping it could be scrolling netflix binging 
it could be isolation. That's a stir where we just constantly shut down. We go and close the door. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to be near anyone. It could be anger outbursts. It could be, yeah, food, food addiction, um, excessive exercise, you know, five hours a day in the gym or just constantly, yeah, needing to have that energy release. And some of those obviously aren't shopping and whatever aren't dangerous, unhealthy behaviours, but when they are sometimes financially for somebody, Um, it's when the danger is when they no longer work. So, you you know, you go to behaviours and then all of a sudden they don't make you feel better and you're still doing them and that's when we start to look internally and go, well, mental health issues and what's wrong with me? Am I depressed? Am I, why isn't this working? I'm doing this thing that's meant to make me happy and it's not. Um, So, yeah, that's why they're called short-term. So there's that. So And a lot of those can be... There's, you know, when we go back through loss history for, for clients, it's about when did that start? When did that and when did that behavior start? Was it from a childhood abuse? Was it from something you modeled from your parents that they always did the isolation and mum always went and shut the door and went to a room or dad always lashed out in anger and that's, you know, what my brother does or that's what I do or um, drinking or smoking or you know drug abuse things like that was it modeled or was it something that we started as a direct result of a particular loss for ourselves so you can pinpoint and go well when he died or when that divorce happened I started drinking or I started excessive eating or so it's recognizing you know what was the emotion around the loss and and when did it happen or we could just have been subconsciously doing this all our life because it was modeled to us and then secondly it's about I think that the energy thing that you're talking about and holding on to, I really truly believe that it does manifest in the body. And we do, you know, we, we recognize also in loss history about accidents and illnesses around loss. So when this happened, so for example, when my husband passed the first two years, I had massive panic attacks and anxiety, specifically when I was driving my children to school, um, where it happened to pull over on the side of the road I felt like I was having a stroke like I literally would um, blurry vision you know tingling numb in my hand couldn't hold the wheel literally had to pull over and breathing and and would go to the doctor and said I think I've had a stroke I've got heart problems and all the rest to you know only find out that it was yeah just a true definition of panic attack and anxiety attacks and so people you know, can relate to that, or it could be constant neck pain or back pain, you know, those things that manifest or constant chest infections and, um, you know, issues of the lungs and heart and things like that, where we, we hold on to all of that, where we, we're not expressing ourselves indigestion. And, you know, so I, I believe emotionally that it's only because I've lived it through the point of once I've healed and done the work that those things have disappeared for me Mm. and they were constant there before. So, you know, I have evidence and I have clients' evidence that once they've let go of that emotion and they've expressed themselves and said all the unsaid communications and those symptoms just disappear. Yeah. When it comes to the disturbs and those, whether it be emotionally eating or food. For me, when my dad died, I was only, you know, 17, turning 18. And so we were out partying and drinking all the time. That was my way of dealing with it then as a uni student. Um, Then when I, you know, had my babies and wasn't drinking, then I just replaced that with food. So that was my go-to. And 
once you recognize and have the awareness and you do the work around these disturbs, it's not about, okay, I'm aware of them. How do I make them stop? It's about recognizing the emotions that bring them up and make us go to. So when we're feeling shame around an incident or when we're feeling guilt, why is it that it's the emotion that's making us go to those behaviors and holding on to the weight is because we're not allowing that release of the emotion. So now I can recognize the emotion and I have a different inspired action to take. So if I'm feeling really sad and grief triggers, you know, waves when you hear a song or you see something that reminds you of and I can say stop and I can say, oh, I'm feeling really sad right now. That just reminded me of, you know, this time or our wedding or something of my brother um, and I have a different inspired action rather than a go-to, let's shut this down, I need to be strong, I need to not feel this right now and that's you know don't be sad and um be strong and and let's just have a block of chocolate and and make it go Mm. away (laughs) so does that make sense oh my god yeah and so they don't disappear you just have better awareness and you make better choices because you don't need that energy release anymore you you're you're actually emotionally just dealing with it because there's nothing wrong with emotions we're not actually making them go away every single person's going to experience grief Mm-hmm. And the grief umbrella, the emotions that come under grief are all those emotions of anger and sadness and guilt and, you know, um, relief. There's conflicting feelings there. Some people can be relieved when someone passes because, you know, they've been through such a process with caring for them. Um, when I work with people whose, you know, parents have had Alzheimer's and things like that at the a very long journey where they're grieving the loss of that relationship long before they pass mm. yeah it's not about making those go away we don't wave a magic wand and say well you'll no longer feel anymore it's about actually allowing you to feel and having those little not replaced with other releases oh gosh this is such an important conversation to have because if there's one certainty in life it's that we are going to have to deal with grief at some time right and loss and um i'm so glad that you are doing this work in the world it's so important you have a group you have a book tell us about all the ways that people can find you and get involved or get in touch thanks emma so yeah my community is gifts from grief um on instagram and facebook rachel pope uh, my personal uh, profile and my book is titled gifts from grief it's available on amazon worldwide or within australia through my website giftsfromgrief.com amazing rachel it's been a pleasure i could talk to you all day i love listening to you as well you have such a calming effect um, it's beautiful so thank you so much for being a guest on the show and um i hope you have a great rest of the day Thanks, Emma. So grateful and um, happy to be here. And thanks for sharing the message. You're welcome. Have a great day. Bye.